Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome to the Feathered Desert uh, podcast. Today, we're Kirsten and I are going to be talking about rewilding Arizona. So the other day, I picked up a Wilderness Wildlife Conservation magazine and found it filled with amazing people doing amazing things to help their wilderness areas and their states, especially after wildfire, the wildfires we've had in the West in the last few years. Without reforesting and replanting of our wild areas after intense firestorms, well, birds and people would be in trouble. Yeah. So I wanted to know, well, what's happening in my state of Arizona? And so I did some research, and I was pleasantly surprised how easy it was to find um, this information. But I was also surprised what I uncovered when I went looking for the unsung heroes and heroines of restoration. And Kirsten's going to start us off. Yes, we are going to start off with the Lower Salt River Restoration Project. Say that three times fast. Yeah, you can. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we have talked about the restoration of the Verde River up by Cottonwood. That was in our Earth Day podcast. And we have shared information about the San Pedro River and the actions being taken to protect it. That was in our southeastern region of Arizona podcasts. Now, it is time to give some notice to the Salt River. So the Salt River is about 200 miles long, and it flows through eastern Arizona, starting at Roosevelt Lake. It makes its way through the mountains to Apache Lake, then Canyon Lake, and finally Saguaro Lake. Then Lower Salt River weaves through Mesa, Tempe, and then Southern Phoenix. And when I said weaves, you guys can't see me, but I'm making my hand do yeah, like a little it does fish. Weave. <laughs> Doing a little fish thing with my hand. So the Salt River provides, oh my gosh. Cheryl gave me a hard word today. <laughs> the Salt River provides m- metropolitan Phoenix area with up to 60% of its irrigation and drinking water needs. So this is a very important river. Yeah. I was surprised that we're still drawing water from the river. The Salt River is home to wildlife and bird life and wild horses. I think that's probably the most popular and famous mm-hmm. wild animal we have out here is the horses. Um, but some great birding goes on down around the Salt yeah. River. Um, It is known for outdoor activities like kayaking, fishing, hiking, and tubing. So in 2017, a fire burned the Lower Salt River on the Tonto National Forest. The fire lasted four days and burned 800 acres. It was spurned on by invasive plant species such as tamar... Oh, gosh. Tamarisk? Tamarisk. yes. Um, Any invasive species, but this one is a a very popular invasive species in that area, which has been established in the area for decades. And they didn't do anything about it, so that's why it... Yeah, it grows and grows and grows, and it grows so much faster than our native Mm -hmm. stuff. So seeing a need, a volunteer actually organized a project called naturalresources.org, and that was started in 2017. With the help of U.S. Forest Service staff, This volunteer group has removed 1,489 million pounds of trash. It's just sad that there's that much trash out there. That's 744 tons. They have removed 41,950 square feet of graffiti. Hello, graffiti. Why Mm -hmm. are you putting graffiti on rocks and boulders? Um, From the Lower Salt River Wilderness Area. 
This group launched a replanting program in 2020, and they have planted more than 27,900 trees and cacti in the Salt River Wilderness area. I just wanted to give them a shout out because, oh my gosh, and I want to sign up. Yeah, they're doing amazing it's work. amazing work. And that's naturalresources.org. And we yes. will definitely put all this information in our show yes. notes. And they're doing it in phases. So I believe in 2023 is phase four, and 2024 is phase five in the cleanup. Nice. So that's only doing three of the five steps that they have yeah. already. Yeah. Nice. So, so, um, there are erosion and soil mitigation projects going on in the Tonto National Forest starting in the spring of 2023. And Boyce Thompson Arboretum near Superior has been replant has a replanting program within the property and around it to help with erosion after the fires in 2021, I believe that's when the fires yeah, I think came. So, yes. close, not, la- not this last summer, but the summer before. Summer before, yeah. Yeah. And I did find one reforesting project that is in its final phase in the Tonto National Forest. The U.S. Forest Service is continuing a project to plant 500 southwestern white pine seedlings on the Pleasant Valley Ranger District. The U.S. Forest Service says that 25-acre project is part of a management plan to treat dwarf mistletoe, a parasitic... I always thought mistletoe was hung from the trees, but apparently this is different it must yeah, it's grow a parasite closer, it must grow closer to the ground plant native to western forests it has been infecting ponderosa pine trees within the call cord campground area 150 ponderosa pines are lightly to moderately infected and 350 trees are severely infected that's 500 trees guys yeah now ponderosa pines because of the um drought um, they're already struggling because yeah. of climate change. And they are an ecosystem within themselves in the Tonto National Forest. So that's a limited resource that we have. Yeah, and there's many, many different types of birds that rely specifically on the ponderosa pine to survive. Which we've covered um, generally in podcasts. So the dwarf mistletoe survives only on living trees by taking water and nutrients from them, often leading to the pon- to the tree's death. The newly planted south Southwestern white pines aren't susceptible to the mistletoe infection. And as I said before, ponderosa pines, gosh, they can't catch a break. No. Between fires, drought, and the dwarf mistletoe, what's a pine tree to do? So, all right, I found a group that has some truly outstanding projects going on, and they are always looking for volunteers. And Kirsten has the first project. Yes, so Friends of the Tonto National Forest is a great volunteer organization that truly works hard for our wildlife and our wilderness areas. Yeah, if you don't know anything about any other volunteer organization, you always hear about the Friends of the Tonto National Forest. One of the projects they have under their organization's watchful eye is Milkweed for Monarchs. The project's goal is to assist the Tonto National Forest staff to help create habitat for monarch butterflies. A key element in the life of the monarch butterflies is the milkweed plant. Now, this is not just because, we're going to say this one more time, we've said it a million times in our podcast, this is not just because the adults drink from this as a nectar plant, it's because the females lay their eggs on milkweed and the caterpillars eat the milkweed. Without the caterpillar, there is no butterfly. So this project focuses on the cultivation of native milkweeds in designated areas. 
That's why they are supervised. Yes. It needs to be, well, it needs to definitely be supervised in the Tonto National Forest. I mean, that's a federal area. So the plan is actually to help monarchs and other butterflies. Other butterflies will definitely use the milkweed as a uh, nectar plant. But the monarchs the use it specifically as a host plant. But the queen also, queen butterfly. And the queen, yeah. exactly, too. Yes, you're right. That's what I was thinking about. Yes, the monarchs and the queens both use them as host plants to lay their eggs on for their caterpillars to eat. So monarchs have an international migration from Canada to Mexico. So Arizona is just a small part of a much larger picture. So in order to establish monarch breeding habitat and support migrating monarch butterflies, friends of the Tonto National Forest work with the Forest Service staff to plant milkweed in select locations. So these plantings started in 2016, and they have currently have 200 milkweed plants growing in Mesa and the Cave Creek Ranger districts of the Tonto National Forest. That might not seem like a lot, but remember, these are desert plants, and in the desert our plants do grow slowly. But if you were to see some of these milkweed plants, some of them are five feet tall. That is a really big um, milkweed plant, and it takes a little while for you to get that big. So that's really, really good work. So milkweed seedlings are actually grown each summer by the volunteers, and then they're planted on the Tonto National Forest in November and are watered during their first year. That's to help establish them, make sure that they survive. Every spring and fall, trained volunteers monitor the milkweed for butterfly eggs, larvae, caterpillars, pupa, and adults. The findings are reported to the Monarch Larva Monitoring Project, a national database used by scientific research researchers in many different fields. So that's very cool. That's I a nice did. project. I thought that was, was really cool. Yes, and butterflies are a nice um, gateway insect to helping other types of insects. So the next project, so this, I gave one, so I knew Kirsten loved butterflies, so that's why she had that project. But uh, this is one that's close to my heart, is the Riparian Photo Point Program. So the first riparian specialist hired by the Tonto National Forest knew the value of repeat photography. I didn't even know this was going on. And documenting resource conditions. So 33 years ago, he had the foresight to initiate a Riparian Photo Point Program in 19... 19- I'm going to tell you what it is. So, finding important reaches of side stream vegetation and stream banks annually, if possible, at the exact same sites each year. Forest staff and researchers have come to depend on the information these photos provide because of the impacts of livestock or, or the improvement conditions through livestock management, wildlife impacts, results of flooding, um, fires, and drought. So what the volunteers do now through the Friends of the uh, Tonto National Forest is they're taking the pictures. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's really cool how it works. So these photos provide the documentation for resource conditions, which is used for natural resource management decisions. While the data is important, it's true that nothing tells a story like a good photograph. So what you do is you go to their website and you say, okay, I'd like to try this. I don't even, I could not find whether you had to submit a photo or prove that you could take a picture. Ah. But they will, you sign up and they will send you a location, um, either through the mail or via email or some way. They will get you the inf- where they would like you to take pictures. And you go take the pictures and you submit it, I believe, by mail, the photos by mail, through how they've 
through what they've sent you. So they're going to send you a packet, basically. Uh-huh. Or you can pick it up if you're close to the ranger station. Um, and cool. uh, And then you mail it in, and it's constantly... Re- it's recording, and it's very important. Like it says, nothing tells a picture better than a, uh, nothing tells a story better than a photograph. Yeah. So the Friends of the Tonto National Forest runs the program now and is looking for volunteer photographers between the months of April to the end of June. And I'm seriously going to sign up. Yeah. Oh, 2023 yeah. 2023, because I can take a picture. Yeah. And, and it sounds like any budding photographers out there or people interested in maybe doing landscape stuff, I mean, this sounds like a great opportunity to to, to hone your craft a little, too, yeah. and do some scientific research at the same time. And for goodness sakes, they might send me someplace I've never been. Yeah, which would be awesome. All right, so one of the other big problems that we have here in the United States that is certainly catching up to us in the Southwest is invasive plants. So invasive plant management is one of the problems that Friends of the Tonto National Forest support. Not not the problem. They support a solution for the problem. Mm-hmm. And they help the U.S. Forest Service to reduce the fire risk in the Tonto National Forest. So by mapping and removing plants that are not native to the Tonto National Forest, and then they monitor the removal areas. Because we want to get rid of those non-native plants. This project focuses on two prevalent species, fountain grass and buffalo grass. So these plants are commonly found along roadsides and in home and business landscaping. And we started using this landscaping because it's a nice tall grass. It's pretty, you know, it covers up a lot of issues that people might have. You don't have to mow it or anything like that. But the problem is that the seeds of these invasive grasses that are not native to this area are easily transported by pretty much anything. Yeah, I was wind, surprised. Yes, my gosh. Wind, water, animals, vehicles, hikers, bikers, equestrians. All of these things can transfer these seeds, which is great for survival of the buffalo grasses and the fountain grass, but not good for where we don't want it to be. By removing invasive plants... The volunteers are actually reducing the threat of wildfire to nearby communities and to our national forest. So historically, the Sonoran Desert portion of the Tonto National Forest was considered a low-fire risk environment. That's just the way it was set up by nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lightning and other natural causes would occasionally ignite a fire, but the spacing of our native plants, the natural spacing that they provide themselves would generally carry low-intensity fires and only for a short distance. So it might only be less than a mile. Yeah. And it so could then, be, yeah. Those invasive um, plants, they fill up that space. Yep. So the plants that are native to the Sonoran Desert, including the iconic, iconic saguaro, are not adapted to deal with this kind of fire. Mm-mm. And just like Cheryl says, lightning maybe strikes this buffalo grass and... And if that buffalo grass wasn't there, it would maybe, I don't know, catch one choya on fire. And then that choya would be like, well, this is a bad day for me. But it wouldn't spread to everybody else. <laughs> right. And now that this buffalo grass and the fountain grass are in the, between, that grass just lights on fire like tinder. And it just spreads and spreads and spreads. And that's how we end up doing 800 to 14,000 acres of our desert burning. Yeah. So, and 
Then, of course, the issue, like we just said, is that our desert is not adapted to deal with fire like that. The adaption is to be spaced apart so that not everybody catches on fire. Well, they don't know how to recover from this. The plants in this area are just not meant to deal with that. So removing those non-native plants and making sure if you're planting something, you've got a new landscape coming in or you work with a landscape company, do not use those types of grasses. They might be cheap and yeah. pretty, but they're just so detrimental to the environment. Education is so important. It's where you have to start, actually. Absolutely. So, so when I start, started my research for this podcast, I did not know what I would find. And what I found was quite a few hardworking people who are working with each other and governments on all levels to protect our amazing wilderness areas. And when we protect wild places, we protect the wildlife, the bird life we so enjoy, and we benefit as well. So please check our show notes for the links to these volunteer organizations if you would like to participate or donate. And I know that I will be out there doing my part in 2023.